if you have a, have a Bible, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. And we have been, uh, we've been in this series, The Strength to Overcome. Today's going to be a good day to look at some things, be very practical, and it'd be a great day to just understand how things work uh, as, a, as a believer. What does it mean when people say grow spiritually? And what does it mean to, to, to walk in, in Him? And, and those little catchphrases that people throw around, they're good ones, they're very descriptive, and they are accurate, but what do they mean? I think most of the time, they just turn into Christian rhetoric that people talk about, and then we, so a lot of times we don't, we don't really get, okay, well, what, what are we talking about there? Scratch your heads, right? And so I'm going to talk about maintaining momentum today. Now, what does it mean to maintain momentum? Momentum from what? Well, we've been talking about the strength to overcome Therefore, the, the life that God has asked you to lead is not possible for you to do it consistently over the long haul. You're going to have to trust him. Therefore, the strength, right, that comes from him. Therefore, I've always talked about, that's why a lot of times people say, well, I can't, I can't be a Christian. I can't be a believer because there's no way I can do that. Well, join the club. There's no way any of us can. In fact, we've got bigger problems when we think we can. Does that make sense? We do. We have bigger problems when you think, oh, I got this. Because usually it takes a big fall before you realize you don't, you don't got it as much as you thought you got it, right? And so it's, an, again, that's what we've been talking about, the strength to overcome. There's so much practical look at this. We've been talking about this over the weeks. And, uh, and what does it mean? What I want you to understand is that, that freedom from these things uh, is not the, the entire goal. It's maintaining that, that freedom, right? It's learning over the long haul. While a lot of people can get towards freedom, a lot of those that can't learn to live that way. So, so let, me, let me just walk you through some of this before we jump into it today. Um, uh, I did not realize the, the response I was going to get to what I'm sharing with you today as I got last night. So I want to make sure that you understand. We're, I've got a lot of things I'm going to cover with you. And, and if you like to take notes, this would be a prime day too, because it may be one of those things you want to look back at. But let's take a look at James chapter 1 and, and verse 4. And it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Now, what does steadfastness well, some of your versions, uh, it depends on which version you're carrying. Some would say perseverance, okay? And both of them are pretty good translations for what the original word says there. Basically, it means I don't quit, okay? I'm not going to quit. And you know, where does the strength, where do you find the strength to not quit? You know, it's amazing to me because the true indicator Again, I just want you to hear the truth. The true indicator of someone who is in Christ is this I'm not going to quit mentality. Not because you're so wonderful, but because his spirit that now lives in us is not going to let you quit. Now, you may quit on the outside, you know, take your ball and go home, but he's not going to let you live that way. He'll come after you, all right? Just like any good parent would. 
So you have then this picture, right? It says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Okay, well, what does that even mean? Okay, well, the strength to overcome becomes a direction more than a one-time thing. It's what we've been talking about over the weeks. And so think about this for a second is that as you continue, as you continue down that road, right? Down that road of overcoming, therefore of not allowing anything in my life that's going to control me. And, and as we learn to live that way over the long haul, that's what it says, when perseverance, that is when you've lived for him over the long haul and you've experienced his strength that he's put in your life to overcome those things, when it's had its full effect you may be perfect. And we're not talking about without flaws here. <clears throat> the picture is complete, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Experience a contentment in here. Well, what happens, guys? Think about this. What happens when you have perseverance in other areas? Guys, I played, I played sports and I persevered. Three surgeries in two years. Okay? I'm dead. But I found out when I played football was the game. When I found out that that was never, ever going to fill what I was looking for. It just wasn't. So perseverance is a great quality. What, but what are you persevering toward? The promise here is, okay, can you put it back up there? Steadfastness has its full effect. That is, Lord, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to keep following you. Does that make sense? I'm not just going to learn to get freedom, but I'm going to learn to live in it, and then I'm going to let it be a pattern no matter what happens. And when you learn to trust him, he gives you the strength to do that. But that's the hard part. Lots of people can obtain freedom, but very few people can live in it over the long haul. It just is an amazing thing. That's why Paul said, we talked about this a few weeks ago, he said, all things are lawful for me, therefore I can do most anything, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. It's an incredible thing. That was what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about Solomon. Solomon had the ability, he had the capability, he had the opportunity to be able to do whatever he wanted. So he immersed himself in all that stuff. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. And it lists all the things that he said, and I tried this. I tried pleasure. I tried, I tried, I tried. And he went down all the list, and it just left him emptier. It just made the need bigger. The appetite just grew to whereas it couldn't be satisfied. Well, God is promising you here that there will be a completeness, a lacking nothing. I find that incredible. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, if you don't know, this is one of those wonderful, this is one of those wonderful passages I want you to hear today, if you have ears to hear, is that in this area, if you've gotten around, I don't know what to do. I, I don't think there's any way that I can, I, 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 I just don't think there's any way I can beat that. Or I don't think, the, I want you to see that he's made a promise. If you like wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask. 
who gives generously, generously to all without reproach. Now, funny thing, you see the word all there? I looked that up in the dictionary. <laughs> and you know what word all means? All, it just means all. All right, good. And uh, I'm a great studier, all right? Just call me a scholar. And so, but here's the great part about it. This is what I call one of those 100% uh, yes prayers. Y'all do realize sometimes people say to me, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I said, oh, no, no, he answered it. He just said no. And you just think prayer is a wish list, and it is not. Uh, but this is, a, this is 100% yes. Ask him, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't see there's any way out here. Lord, I don't see, I, I, there's no way I can do this. And it's finally we get to that point. It's amazing. But he promises. Because with wisdom, what good is wisdom without the strength to carry it out? So that's what he's longed to do. Why? Because he wants you to learn to live that way. It was, that's what Galatians says. It was for freedom that he has set us free. But most have struggles that keep them from trusting God enough or fully to where they always slip back because they start thinking, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And he goes on to say, let him ask in faith right? And then he goes on to say the rest that uh, we've got to move along, okay, because uh, we've got, we got more to do here. All right. So I want to go ahead and, and jump into what I want to talk today about basically is maintaining momentum. It's the word maintenance. It's not a real popular word. It's kind of like, like discipline, right? It's not a real popular word, but it's a very important word. And I want you to see this in your life as a believer, if you're a believer today, today is, is huge to understand. Uh, if you're not a believer here today, while I'm talking mainly to believers, that does not mean that you can't understand what we're saying. I want to talk to you about pitfalls, okay? What is it, the things that get in our way that cause us to get off track? All right, what is it that comes into a believer's life? Because there, there are things that do that until we learn to not let these things get the best of us, it's an amazing thing. Pitfalls. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Now, if you want to follow some notes, there's going to be several things here. Number one is what I'm going to call predictable patterns of pitfalls. Here's how it works, okay? And if you've been a believer very long, you can say, okay, yep, there, that's me right there. Right there, Jeff. And if you haven't been a believer very long, this is the way it works, but you don't have to learn the hard way, like the guy standing up here. All my life, I've been just hard-headed enough. I have to learn the hard way. I do learn. He can be taught. I can learn. But usually it's the hard way that is my greatest teacher. You don't have to be that way, okay? You can learn, okay, from someone else. Now, here's the pattern. Here's what happens in the life in the life of a believer uh, who's a true believer, I'm not talking about just one, someone who's joined up or someone who's religious, but someone who has a desire to follow Christ. All right, and here's the patterns of how we, we, we get into trouble. All right, number one is complacency. Complacency. Now, what does complacency mean? Well, it means, it means basically things have kind of gotten comfortable, you know, um, 
And we've gotten to the point to where it's not, it's not, it's not a crisis mode anymore, right? And I've gotten a little bit of relief. And uh, as, long as, as long as it's crisis relief, oh God, you know, we're okay, believe it or not. We got our, we got our, we got our, we got our fully on him. But when it lets up, when he start, you get start getting some strength to overcome when you're trusting him. Things are letting up a little bit. And that work is starting to work in your life. It's amazing how comfortable that, that we can get with that. Okay? But remember, just getting there is not the goal. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, <laughs> when you think on this, this complacency thing, is think about... Think about somebody who gets, who gets sick, and they go to the doctor. Let's say that they have bronchitis, all right? And, and basically, you feel terrible. You don't have any energy, and you kind of just, you get up, and you're out of breath before you, before you hardly do anything, and you go to the doctor, and you're feeling terrible, right? Fever, and, you're, and he looks at you, and he says, Ken, know what you got, okay? Great news. All right, here you go. And he hands you or writes you a prescription for a bottle of pills called antibiotics. Now, any doctor who knows anything about what he's doing is going to tell you this. Take every pill. Okay, it's a regimen. And they understand because of all their research and study that if you take every one of them, it will knock it out completely. But what some people do, because they know better than everybody else, right? They take them long enough until what? They start feeling better. And then when the relief happens, they get careless. Okay, they stop taking. As long as they feel bad, man, they're wanting to know if they should take more than just one, right? As long as they're feeling terrible. But once the relief happens, complacency sets in. And either we stop thinking about it, we, we, get, we get back up doing what we normally do, and you forget. The problem is if you don't knock it out, it'll come back, and it'll be twice as bad as it was before, and it'll be twice as hard to get rid of as it was the first time. I find that in the lives of believers. God puts something on your heart and says, listen, you don't want that in your life. You don't want that ruling you anymore. So you start focusing on it. And it can be anything. Guys, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be destructive. Those get the press, the big press, the destructive type things. But I'm talking about everything, okay? Everything, everything that, could, that could basically rule who you are, down to relationships with others, you know? Down to, um, down to them all, right? Now, down to everything, pretty much everything can become your master when you begin to put too much into it, right? Because it doesn't have what it takes to really come through with what you're looking for. Okay, so what happens is God puts something in your hand, and you start, and then you get some relief. And then you, you take your eyes off God and start saying, okay, God, I've got some relief now. Hey, appreciate, appreciate your help, God. And then you head back. And then whatever it was comes back, it comes back with a vengeance, right? Number one, complacency. Number two is confusion. Confusion is probably not the greatest word, but I wanted to follow the C's. 
All right, good. All right, confusion, short-term memory loss. Okay, don't miss this. This is great. Short-term memory loss. All of us have short-term memory loss. Therefore, okay, I can't speak to this, but I'll use it as an illustration, okay? If we didn't have short-term memory loss, ladies, why would you ever have more than one child? I don't know what it is about it, but when that brand new baby hits your arms, all of what you just went through is forgotten. It's unbelievable that you'd want to do that again. Absolutely unbelievable. It's called short-term memory loss. And what happens is we start to get some relief, right? We start to get some relief and we start to feel better and things are starting to roll along. And then we start looking back and thinking, well, that wasn't all that bad, right? I don't know why it is that way. I don't know why you and I are that way, but I have watched people who finally look at someone, they've got this dating relationship and they break up with them, they've been abusive, they break up with them, they get away from them long enough tonight, and then they begin to get lonely and say, well, you know, he or she, they weren't that bad. And they go running right back to it. Why? Because you've got short-term memory loss. And it is one of the reasons, the predictable pattern of how people, right? They, they, they start to get complacent. That is, they get a little bit of relief. Then they have short-term memory loss about how bad that it was. The greatest illustration of this in the scripture are the Israelites. Numbers chapter, you don't have to turn this little screen. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. Numbers 11, verse 4. Now, Israel, God came through, the, I mean, they had... They were in slavery. The scriptures called their slavery brutal, oppressive, task, taskmasters. And life was just miserable. And so God came through their life and set them free. Put Moses in their life as their deliverer and led them out of their captivity. But this predictable pattern of pitfalls caught up with the Israelites, like it does with so many. And usually it takes a mature person who have been through this list several times before they say, okay, I'm not going down that road anymore. I've learned what that road, that road leads, right? But in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, okay, here's just, this is interesting. These are the Israelites talking to Moses. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again. So they're crying, saying, oh, that we had meat to eat. Listen to this. We remembered the fish we ate in Egypt. You remember how awesome Egypt was? Why? Because we got short-term memory loss, right? Listen, keep, keep on listening. Remember the fish we ate? And it cost us nothing. Not only do we have short-term memory loss, but we begin, we begin to deceive ourselves, especially by things that we've gotten used to, even if what we've gotten used to is not good for us. They said it cost them nothing? Question. They were slaves. It cost them their life. Isn't that unbelievable? 
Sometimes, if we get hooked, things that get their hooks on us, we can make real bad decisions. And so they start talking about fish, eating fish. How much they miss eating fish and, and cucumbers. Guys, cucumbers are not that good. <laughs> Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, hogs won't even eat those. And they're pining away for cucumbers? After what God's done in their lives and set them free, and now they're longing to go back because they miss it because they've got short-term memory loss. Unbelievable. Melvin's leaks and goes on the rest. Right? They said, when our strength is all dried up, which it wasn't, that's how they felt. Be real careful about the whole feel thing. We'll talk more about that later. And there is nothing but this manna. So they didn't like the way God was leading them, but God had a reason. Can you trust him? They could trust him, but they didn't know how. But these predictable patterns, so this complacency, okay, I've gotten some relief, turns, <laughs> it turns into short-term memory loss which turns into compromise, okay? And that comes in all shapes and sizes. But compromise is basically, this is where the struggle begins. Because your, your thought is, you begin to miss it, and then you, you look back at it, or something happens, and this comes in all shapes and sizes, right? This can happen at a bar, it can happen at a mall, it can happen at 31 flavors, just wherever your particular area is. But it, can, and it, but it can't even be those things. It doesn't have, but y'all, if you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. And so what happens is, is there's this, there's this compromise that begins to hit your brain. You know, let me give you an illustration. If, this has never been my struggle, but, but we all have them. But this is, let's say, let's say gambling has been a struggle for you. And God's brought it to your mind. You've attacked it. And it does not have the hold over you anymore. And so you look at it. And so here's what you say to yourself, all right, when you kind of walk down to this. You know, well, well, it's vacation in Las Vegas this year. But we just, we'll just go to the shows. Okay? Compromise. If that's an issue, if that's an issue, it's incredible what you can talk yourself into. When you think, well, I, I, I'm, that's not a problem anymore. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful. Which number four brings us to catastrophe. And guys, this little pattern goes on and on until we mature enough in our faith. I'm talking to believers today. When we mature enough in our faith to where, okay, I'm not, I'm not heading down that road anymore. I'm just not going to go there. I am just not going to go there, Lord. Why? Because I want to learn. I'm, I'm tired of this pattern. Lord, I want to learn to, to find what you've already promised me. I don't know. I find that incredible when you think about it, right? So compromise, it turns into a catastrophe, right? All right. Number two, what causes these pitfalls? Okay, I need to, I need to move here, all right? But what causes them? How, how do they come up? All right, number one, we start to think that the strength to overcome comes from within us. You see, as long as we're in the situation where we know it's beyond us, we're going to trust him. But when the relief comes and we get down the road a little bit, we begin to think, 
You know, maybe God had a little bit to do that, but that had a lot with me. And we start thinking that it's, that, that we can do it. That's why the poor in spirit is so important. Because when it happens, it's real easy to think somehow you did it. Why? Because we're like that. We long to take credit for any successes in our lives. It's just something that's within us. And I don't, I don't know what that is, but when it happens, do you know what an entire book of the Bible was written on this subject? Okay, this subject, and it's the book of Galatians. Martin Luther called it the greatest book in the Bible. He said it was written especially for him. And it was definitely written to the people in the room there who I call are the tryharders. By the way, I'm one of you. We need to have a support group, the tryharders. Well, you just are not trying hard enough, right? That's when we had the chicken up here a few weeks ago, remember? All right, the tryharders. But the book of Galatians was written to the tryharder. Because what happens is until you can ever get to the end of yourself, you'll never really find his strength in you. Why? Because you're still trusting in your own strength. Whenever, you, whenever Until you get to the end of yourself, you will never learn really to trust him. That's where the poor in spirit thought comes from. So this entire book is written to say that. In fact, let me just read to you one verse, Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish, Paul says, that you've begun with the spirit? That is, you've begun trusting him and his working through you. You've begun there, but now you're going to be perfected by the flesh. In other words, by yourself, by your own strength. I found that incredible. So we start out trusting him, but that now we think, well, you know, hey, I got this. I got this. I can do this. So that's one. That's one of the reasons when we start trusting ourselves. Why? Because we eventually, we eventually run out of gas. Some of you in here have what I call real big gas tanks. You're pretty strong, okay? But listen to this. I don't care how big the gas tank is. Every gas tank runs out. And that's when you crash. Oh, yeah, there'll be people in your life that'll clap and go, wow. Did you see how long they went? Yeah, but you still crashed. Oh, it didn't matter. Look, at did you see how long? I mean, it was incredible. But the, the great promise he gives, Jesus, the scriptures teach us that is he a well? He's a well that doesn't run dry. Or if I want to stay with the same metaphor, a gas tank that doesn't run dry. In fact, he said, actually, he'll put the well inside of you. Woman at the well, remember? He said, there'll be a well of life living in you. So he'll put the strength in you to do what he's called you to do. And it's inexhaustible. Well, I just don't believe that. I hear you. That's an issue. Why? Because he's going he's to insist that you trust him. It's amazing how it works. Zechariah 4, 6. I'll let you read that one later, but I've got to move on. Skipping one of them. Let's run down these. We'll have to get through these a little bit quicker. Right? Skipping one of the Beatitudes. In other words, if you, if you skip any of these, then you're going, to, you're going to find out that a pitfall is probably coming, just like if you think it comes from you. Let me just go over them with you again. All right? It's found, obviously, the Matthew passage. It's, is where it's found. In the Matthew, in the Matthew passage, 
uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the Beatitudes we've been talking about over the weeks. Over the weeks. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay? Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, when you take a look at these seven that we've talked about, we've got one more to talk about, which it'll be in a couple of weeks that we'll finish what we're doing here up. But what do these things, well, we talked about them, but what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit means to see that the answer is not in yourself. Until you get there, it doesn't matter if you try doing the others. Because there will always be the thought that, Lord God, I don't really need you. or Maybe you just need a little help. But the scripture teaches bankruptcy. Right? right? You don't need a hand. You need, you need it all. Mourn, number two, is the relationship we have with him of understanding that he has the strength. Right? And we don't. Right? Number three, meek. I'm going to turn my life and will over to him. If you fail to do any of these, right? If you fail to do any of these, this is an incredible thing. Then it just short circuits all the rest. I just found it amazing what he's talked about. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's those who say, search me, O God, right? Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my, my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way. In other words, Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be. And I want to be able to be honest enough with myself to see those things. Right? The next one was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Those are the appetites that are in your life. We understand appetite because usually we relate it to hunger and food. But also an appetite are those things that, that creep up inside of us. And you create appetites in your life. And the more you feed that appetite, the bigger place whatever it is you feed has in your life. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Remember I used the ice cream illustration? I got a lot of great comments from that one. That one really helped everybody understand. Because the more the ice cream you eat, this thing grows in your life. Right? We had laughter. We had a lot of fun with that because that's not as dangerous as some of the other things. But it's still the same concept. What appetites do you create in your life? In our culture... We have created such an incredible sexual appetite that we are creating monsters. Why? Because when you feel, it's a natural, it's a natural desire. But when it, when it becomes the direction of your life, it turns you into one big need. And the more you feed it, the bigger the need grows until it becomes all-consuming to where it becomes that's all you think about. Now, I'm not talking about just sexual things because it goes across the board. I'm not just picking on one area, guys. We all have it, right? You know, sometimes people say, Pastor, have you ever, you ever struggled that area? I said, no. I said, I have it. But I got, you, I got about five or six others if you want me to talk to you about, you know, that just is not my area. So therefore, we have a tendency when we're blind to ourselves to judge others for their area because that may not just be yours. Isn't that interesting how that works? Hungry appetites. It says there to hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Therefore, Lord, and then you'll be filled. It won't, it won't be just as the more you feed this appetite, the bigger it grows. He says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that is hunger and thirst for him, you'll be filled. Okay, that's good news. Okay? But most people still think that they can find satisfaction in this life. They do. Unless you've been around long enough to where you've gotten cynical. Right? That's why as you get older, you either get sweeter or more cynical. You either understand what life's about or you've given up. Right? It's an amazing thing to think about. Your appetites. Your appetites. And then obviously number six, merciful and peacemakers, has to do with has to do with relationships. We were made for relationships, and when those aren't right in our life, I don't know that there's anything more maddening than being alone and isolated, right? And yet sometimes we use it because we're just so tired of being hurt in this world that we just isolate ourselves. I understand that. I get that piece. All that plays together. Has, number six there, merciful and peacemakers, we've kind of combined two together, has to do with forgiveness. We talked about that last week. So if you skip any of these, you're never going to find what you're looking for. That's why Jesus talked about the Beatitudes. It's pretty amazing to think about. Right? Thinking, thinking the strength comes from us, skipping one, okay, of, uh, of, these, uh, of these Beatitudes. And number three is trying to do it alone. I tell you, isolation's a pitfall. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have the good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone that when he falls, there's no one there to pick him up. And it's true. Guys, we live in a time to where, and I get it, is that you can isolate yourself and, and be able to survive. You know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I go to a small town where all my relatives are from, and these folks are not isolated. <laughs> they know all their neighbors. I'm not saying it's all good. But they know all their neighbors. They stop and talk. And, and I almost, when I stay there for a few days, I come back here. It's like, you try not to get on co eye contact with anybody, right? You know. And so we, we isolate. And that's why, I mean, I, I'm, praise the Lord for online and streaming like we have because it allows people to be a part of the service can't, can't get here. But if you ever use streaming as a substitute, you're just isolating yourself. Right? And you will, it, it, it's a pitfall. Why? Because the voices in your head, you'll begin to believe them when nobody says, no, 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 you, that's just a lie. Don't believe that. Because I think the voice in our head, and I don't know what that voice is, but, and it's not an out loud voice, okay, in case you think I'm strange. But you know what I'm talking about. Those voices that condemn, those voices that say, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. When you got people in your life that say, oh, no, 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 that's not the truth. It's amazing what that works, how that works. You can read the rest of that Ecclesiastes, but when you try to do it alone, you, you just, it is what it is. Number four is pride. This is just what I call the leftover bucket. Right? Pride goes before a fall, right? Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction or a fall, however you want to say it. Haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, 
Pride is those who trust in themselves. In fact, pride is considered a virtue in our culture, I believe. Self-confidence, all those kind of things. Um, but it's those things that lead to, to some real struggle, right? And I think you know that. I'd love to talk to you a little bit longer, but I don't want, to mi- I don't want you to miss out uh, on some of the things that I want to share with you today. All right, so pride obviously is the other. Number three, how do you prevent these? All right, how do you prevent these? Now, guys, if you have a desire, Lord, I want to, because when you go through the pattern that we talked about, the pattern, the pitfalls pattern, right, with, you know, with getting comfortable and short-term memory loss, all this, right, if you fail enough times, people can get discouraged, and you've gone, through, you've gone through a long time of struggle. That may be where you are right now. It's incredible to me the long patterns of struggle that some people can get into. You know, again, but that, we'll talk about that again. In fact, Jesus even said to his disciples in Mark 14, he said, watch, that is be vigilant and pray that you don't enter into temptation. And he tells them, that the spirit that lives in them is willing, but their flesh is weak, right? So then how do you do this? How, how do you learn to grow and get to that what he's called you to do, right? And this is, this is not earth-shattering new stuff. This just is what it is, right? And it's a self-evaluation, and rarely do people like to do this. I try to do it most every day of my life, if not every day, several times a week. Because I found out when you get used to it, it it's, it's not this major catastrophe you have to do every, you know, every few years, right? But this is Psalm 139. I talked to you about a few weeks ago. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. Know my heart. In other words, if you ask him to search you, that's like asking for wisdom. God, give me the ability to see myself. But seeing yourself is not always a fun thing to do. Most people would rather live in such a way as just, let me just believe the fantasy about who I think I am. Let me give you a for instance. And this is the truth. You know, that I still have in my brain what I look like. And it's that 27, 28-year-old, right? And I still think I look that way until in the morning when I shave. And I am reminded that, oh, yeah. Right? Why? Because it's so, our brains are wired that way. But when you take an honest, you know, when, what was it, Shakespeare, whoever said, know thyself, And it's a philosophy, but I tell you what, it's not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's almost a cruel thing to do if there's nothing you can do about it. That's why more people don't look. But see, God's promised to give you the strength to overcome. So looking, an honest look, is critical. But it's not fun. In fact, I have found, told you this before, but I have found that the most judgmental, critical people of others are those who never look at themselves. Because if they ever got a good look at themselves, they wouldn't be near as judgmental and critical of others. Chew on that one for a while, right? 
It's the truth. It's the truth. So as we think on, think on self-evaluation, I call it an inventory. What's an inventory? Well, I love that word, inventory. Well, I used to work when I was a kid, when I was in high school, after football season, I worked every year, uh, and then all through the summers, I worked at TGNY. Have you ever, anybody, raise your hand if you've ever heard of, oh my goodness, very few. Well, it went defunct, and I know why. All right, we'll talk about that another time. All right, but I worked, well, look at me. What do you think they had me doing? Yeah, unloading the truck and, you know, and stocking it, right? But once a year, we had to do an inventory. Now, what's an inventory? It's a pain. <laughs> but you have this thought of what you have. But it's not until you do the inventory till you really find out what you have. That is, you go around and you count everything. <laughs> and it's not what you think you have that matters. It's what you actually have. And listen, ah, gotcha. You never have what you think you have. It's always the way it is. And if you take a, the only way you'll find out is if you'll take a look. If you'll do an inventory. But it's not always fun. But it is the truth. Right? And those who are his, they want to know the truth. Inventories, several inventories. You can take a physical inventory. Oh, Jeff, why are you talking about this? I know, I know. But this comes down to stress levels, taking an honest look. What are the things in your life that aren't good? Exercise, lack of exercise. Yeah, 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 Jeff, let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Number two, emotional, right, inventory, things that make you angry, right? Hurt, resentment, relational inventory. Am I at peace with people in my life? Or is everything a constant battle? Oh, Jeff, stop. I hear you. It's not fun to do. But if you want to find what you're looking for, this is the road, even though it may be a tough one. Interesting, huh? Right? You know, it's interesting to me. I want you to think about this. So relational inventory, and then there's a spiritual inventory. And, but you know, when you drive around in your car, and there's this, and on your dashboard, a light comes on. Okay? It's a light on the dashboard. Now, you've got several choices. You can say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Right? It's probably a faulty light bulb. You know, we've all said it, right? And then what happens is you just keep driving around. And it's, and before long, you don't even notice it anymore. You wouldn't even notice that it's there. Why? Because it's always there. And then you are shocked when your car breaks down. <laughs> Almost angry. Right? That's how we can be, that's how we can deceive ourselves. But if the light comes on the dashboard, if you're taking an inventory and the light comes on, okay, I gotta get the cat, I, got, I have to go get that checked out. And the problem is it's gonna cost you. Yeah, we'd rather just, ah, it's not a big deal. Right. It's good stuff. Told you I had too much for today. All right. Always do. But an inventory. So number one, self-evaluation. Number two is spending time with God. I'm just about done. 
Spending time with God. That's the only two. How do you prevent pitfalls? Number one is to be self-evaluation. Number two is to spend time with God. Therefore, reserving a time with him. Every day, if possible. Because I found that people who spend time with him find the strength that they're looking for. You know, one time when I was a kid, I was five years old. Five years old. This is what my dad told me. And we're driving through the streets of, of Paris. And before you get impressed, that's Paris, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, that was my dad's hometown, right? And uh, that's where I still consider all our relatives. Or that's where we, I still, when we go home, that's where we go. But anyway, Paris, Tennessee, and we're driving through the street. And I'll never forget, I, a little kid, and, but dad told me more about it. But I, I remember us driving by, and dad stopped and pulled up a little hill. And he says, hey, I want you to see, Jeff. He said, and he points over to this dilapidated shack. And he says, I was, I was born there. And <laughs> I, I looked over, my dad told me that I looked back at him and said, oh, dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because all I saw was this broken down shack. Now, question, question. This is a big deal. What do you have to do to a house to get it to look like that? Nothing. Not one thing. If that's your goal, then brother, then knock yourself out. You don't have to do a thing. But if through the years, even that old house, if it had had the maintenance, it would still be fine, would it not? Maybe not perfect. But which one of us are perfect, right? You can tell people in their life who do maintenance. Maintenance, guys, I'm here to tell you, it's never fun, and it always costs. But as a believer, spending time with God is, is something that's, that you just have to do. Psalm 1-1, blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the, of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, right? Nor stand, but, but, but he, what does he do? He delights in God's law, right? That's God's word. And he meditates on it. Interesting. Spending time with God. You know, let me just tell you this as a believer. The strength to overcome, obviously, we've been talking about this, just about done. The strength to overcome comes from him. Therefore, when we spend time looking at him, I mean, spend time with him, it gives us the ability to say, God, I need your wisdom in this area, and I'm going to need your strength to be who you've called me to be. Right? Because he goes on to talk about if you, if you, if you spend time delight in his, in his words, delight in him, is that you'll be like a tree planted by the streams that roots go deep. Strength, strength to overcome. It's what we've been talking about. And so when you look at this, when you think on these things, when you think about the whole, the whole maintenance thought, when you think about spending time with him, you know, in doing what I do, I'm with a lot of people who make mistakes. Not everybody makes them. But I can always tell the ones who are going to get by them by how they approach it. Right? First of all, I'm, I'm wrong. That's the big one. Right? Poor in spirit. Just follow them. Guys, it's pretty much everything. 
when they start making excuses and blaming everybody else, I know they've got more road to cover, right? They're not there. They're not ready yet to live in the freedom God has for them. But listen, in doing what I do, I've been doing what I do now for a long time. And through the years, uh, pastors, friends have made real bad mistakes. And none of us are above those, right? Only Pharisees think they're above those. But I've been around pastors, who, and I don't know why our world, even believers, sadly celebrate the fact when a pastor falls. I don't know why they do, but they do. Somehow you think you're on a different level or whatever, but, but you know, these, all these guys that I know, because through the years, I meet them in my ordination council. Half of those guys have already fallen. And I, you know, I try never, not, never to shoot and to judge because I found the more you shoot and the more you judge people, the more you're going to be ripe for a fall yourself. All right? And so you can always come to me. I'm not going to shoot you. You can always come talk to me if you're struggling. I'm not going to shoot you. Why? Because I know where I'd be without him. Anyway, let me finish my story. i got to stop. I told you this was good stuff. I just got to stop. All right. Just one last thought. But I ask all these people, I always ask, I said, how in the world? Because they started out. They started out incredible. They started out excited about who God was. How in the world did you get from here to here? And 100% of the time, not 95%, not 90, 100% of the time, they said, I got away from my personal time with the Lord. Maintenance. You don't, you don't make those mistakes overnight. You drift toward them over a long period of time, right? And those who are willing to say, Lord, search me on God, right? And those who are willing to say, I want to know. And those who are willing to follow him down and say, God, I want that out of my life. I don't want that in my life. It's an amazing thing. All right, all right, stop, Jeff, stop, stop. But I, I, I just have such a passion. Guys, listen to me. I have such a passion for people just to taste this. Why? Because we've got a whole world out there who are running after different stuff creating all kinds of appetites in their life, thinking that's going to that's gonna do it. And they just get hungrier and hungrier. And yet God has called us to live filled, right? Because blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be what? They'll be filled. Unbelievable.